go to Matthew chapter 25. I'm going through a few scriptures here. Last week we had Pastor Chris who talked about Matthew 25. And I just want to quote from a little bit of that. Matthew 25 and verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all the nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and he shall set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on the left hand. So we're seeing that division again. There's always this twofold application here through the word of God. Now we've got sheep and goats, but, but in fact, it's, it's still part of the same division, of course. If you go down to verse 41, it says this, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now these are the words of Jesus Christ, who's actually going to execute the judgment. So he knows what the penalty will be. He knows what the end result will be. He knows what the judgment will be. If you go back to verse 34, we have on the other side, then shall the king say unto them that on his right hand, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now there's no rewriting the script here. It's either one or the other. And they're both prepared. They're both set. We read in verse 41, everlasting fire prepared the kingdom and the glory prepared god knows the end from the beginning jesus knows all of these things he knows how it's going to unfold and jesus gave us many many times the the comparison the stark comparison he said for example except you repent you shall in all likewise perish except you repent you perish on the other side of the coin he said in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. So all the time he was urging and warning people about these two things, the two ends. There's no in-betweens, of course. And Jesus knows full well both of these, just as God knows them. Let's go to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians and chapter 1. And verse 7, this is Paul now. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with these mighty angels. Hallelujah, the Lord's coming back. And we know it's, well, it could be soon. But he's coming back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who live their life in an evil way in that sense. And we may say, oh, but I'm in with a lot of good people around. Well, we're not measuring by the world standards. If we're not prepared to do it God's way, then we're unacceptable to God. It's simple as that. Because God's way is the best anyway. Father knows best. And so we ought to be doing it the way the, the Lord expects us to. And so he's given us every opportunity. 2,000 years. How long do we need to get it right? We've been given 2,000 years to adjust to God's ways and God's principles. Are we getting closer? No, we're getting further away. We're becoming more rebellious. We're introducing laws now, which are totally contrary to the ways of God. We're actually making it law to accept alternatives and to embrace alternatives and to live an alternative lifestyle to what God had in mind. 
And in fact, it's worse than that. If you're critical of those sorts of lifestyles and those sort of laws and those sort of choices, you become hammered for your prejudice and bias and uh, whatever phobia you may have. Verse 9, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, they're strong words. and They're hard to escape. It says in the Amplified, the punishment of everlasting ruin and eternal exclusion and banishment from the presence of the Lord. Now, there are those people, of course, who are going to argue about that. What sort of God is that? Is that that a God of love? I don't think that's fair. Is that real justice? I don't know whether we can accept that. What does it mean anyway, Uh, ruination or alienation or separation or banishment? What do all these things mean? Well, I don't fully understand every aspect of that. And I, hallelujah, I don't want to. And I hope we never, ever have to find out what they exactly mean. But let me just quote you, whether we like it or not, whether we embrace it or not, whether we want to accept it or not, this is what the Bible's got to say. And I'm just going to quote a few examples only. And we, uh, we can have all the arguments and debates that people want to have and all the suggestions and the readjustments of the Bible and uh, perhaps a more uh, politically correct uh, version so that we can sort of be a little happier with it. Well, this is what the Bible says. Everlasting burnings, everlasting fire. These are in various places through Old and New Testament. Devouring fire, the day of wrath, the fire of his jealousy, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, the blackness of darkness forever, weeping and gnashing of teeth, unquenchable fire. It is a fearful, formidable and terrible thing to incur the divine penalties and to be cast into the hands of the living God. Fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so on. Now, we may want to block our ears and we may want to hide under a pillow somewhere or other, but that's what the Bible says. And if that's all it says, you would be thinking, well, this is pretty unfair. This is a bit miserable, as a matter of fact. But that's only one of the endings. That's the rotten ending, isn't it? That's the ending we don't have to be part of. We don't have to be part of any of that at all. And God's not suggesting we should have to be. He's giving us every opportunity. He allowed his son to die to get us out of this ending into the other ending that he's got in store. He went through all this process to make it a happy ending for us. And that's exactly what, as a matter of fact, Psalm 37 says. I want you to turn to it. I quote from another translation. But the good man, this is the alternative, but the good man, what a different story it says here in Psalm 37. But the good man, what a different story. For the good man, the blameless, the upright, the man of peace and the woman of peace, he has or she has a wonderful future ahead of him. For for him, there is a, this is what the translation says, for him there is a happy ending. There's a, a very stark difference. And we shouldn't stop in verse 9 here either because if you go into verse 10 to where we were reading when we just had everlasting destruction or ruination from the presence of the Lord, verse 10 says, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints. There's the two endings. Everlasting banishment and and ruination and separation from God or total unity with God, admired in God, one with God, of course. So there are plenty of scriptures about that as well. In Ephesians it says, 
We are all members or parts of one body. I quote another translation. We have the same spirit and we've all been called to the same glorious future. Glorious future. That's what the Lord has in store for us. In Revelation 22, so to the end of the story, as it were, there shall no longer exist there in this glorious future anything that is accursed or detestable or foul or offensive or impure or hateful or horrible. But instead, what will be there is the throne of God and of the Lamb, and he shall be in it, and his servants shall worship him, pay divine honours to him, and do him holy service forever. In Revelation 21 from the Amplified, it says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither shall there be any anguish, any sorrow, any mourning, no grief, no pain anymore, for the old conditions and the former order of things have passed away. That's the alternative. You'd wonder why people would even dabble around with uh, anything else but this. Why would they even contemplate an alternative? And, of course, so many people now believe we just came from some amorphous mass way back then and the process of evolution have produced us and we'll go back to where we came from and it doesn't mean anything. There is no God. The Bible says only the fool in his heart would say there is no God. But that's what the world's doing. and We've become more and more atheistic and more and more estranged and removed from God's ways and God's principles and from God himself. So let me quote a few things about the other side. Everlasting righteousness, glory, peace, holiness, joy, hallelujah, an incorruptible crown, nothing is corruptible. There's no rust, there's no decay, there's no moth can get to you. A crown of life. The word crown, by the way, I've often mentioned means in the Greek stephanos, which is a, a laurel wreath type crown, not the one you wear on your head. So that means it to be immersed in. So what we're actually saying here, we're going to be immersed into an environment which is totally incorruptible. We're going to go into an environment which is the crown of life, totally life, nothing else but life, and nothing that caused anything else but life. So the concepts of, a, of anything like diseases or anxiety or, or stress or anything, they can't be there because it's life. Nothing that engenders death will be there. Hallelujah. The crown of righteousness. Everything will be right and perfect in God's new realm. The crown of glory. Hallelujah. The crown of rejoicing. No sadness, no anxiety, no stress, no churned up tummies, no problems whatsoever to contend with. We're going to inherit all things, it says. We're going to be ruling and reigning. We're going to be face-to-face with our Creator and with our Saviour and, and the other saints too. Sometimes you get asked what we're going to do for eternity. <clears throat> well, let's just see, I suppose. But how about we explore the new heavens and the new earth? Maybe that's a possibility. We can go on a, an eternal travel journey. Or maybe we can talk to thousands and thousands of Bible characters some of which, of course, are not actually in the Bible because they're only mentioned generally as people who might have got spirit-filled at a certain time, whatever. But there are thousands of people over the years who've come to the Lord and they've got testimonies. They've continued on to the end and they've got a testimony. Uh, how would you like to sit down with, with the Apostle Paul and have an afternoon tea with him, maybe some scones and jam and cream, and listen to, Pastor, to, to Apostle Paul uh, tell us about his adventures? 
Well, I don't know whether that's going to happen or not, but you can sort of speculate and you can dream about it as much as you like. I think we'll be happy. I think we'll be contented in the new realm that God has in store for us. Now, we need to keep in mind, of course, particularly if you're a visitor maybe to our Zoom today, that you can't be part of the end unless you're part of the beginning. And the beginning, of course, is when John 3, we read that Jesus said, you must be born again of the water and the spirit. The beginning is our new birth, just as our beginning was our natural birth. Our spiritual birth is the beginning. But, of course, it's not just the beginning. Let me be warn, warn people, it's not just about getting spirit-filled. We've got to stay spirit-filled, of course. It's not sufficient just to have an experience 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, or even three days ago, if somehow or other we've moved away from it in those next three days. The Bible says we've got to continue and abide and endure to the end, to the end, to the end of this phase, this stage, this chapter in God's eternal book. We've got to make sure that we are not like so many tragically. In fact, a lot, a lot of people have got spirit-filled over those 2,000 years. And a large proportion of those spirit-filled people, tragically, will have the wrong end to their journey. They think they might be all right in many cases. Many people don't care. But whatever it is, we need to make sure the, the Bible is very clear on warning us and exhorting us that we can't afford to be neglecting our great salvation. So the message of the Bible is always clear. How to get saved and how to stay saved warnings about both, exhortations about both, of course. Now, in Matthew 24, we won't turn to it, but we know that Jesus Christ spoke about the end time signs. One of those signs was, in the last days, iniquity shall abound. Uh, by iniquity, we mean lawlessness. Now, we see lots of lawlessness around the world today. But he went on to say, and the love of many shall wax cold. And so I don't think we're particularly... We're mindful of the lawlessness generally around the world, but my concern would be more the lawlessness in spirit-filled people's lives. Their love, which was meant to be hot and on fire, waxing cold. Lawless meaning they've gone away from God's principles. They've compromised. They've been perhaps distracted. They've got caught out and caught up with some things. They're not full on for the things of the Lord anymore. Maybe they don't believe anymore you've got to be baptised in water. Perhaps they don't believe anymore you've got to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. Maybe they've changed their thinking and attitude about speaking in tongues. Maybe they haven't prayed in tongues for, for years, maybe. So there's lots of people who, who started off with the fire of the Holy Ghost and then they wax cold. What does wax cold mean? It means heading towards the cold end of the spectrum. When you're hot and you're heading towards the cold end of the spectrum, what section do you go through? Lukewarm. And that's what Jesus very clearly warned us about. In fact, he said, I'll spew you out of my mouth if you're lukewarm. I would that you were hot, of course, but if at least you recognise you're cold, you might decide, well, I need to get hot again. But if you're lukewarm, you're comfortable, you're casual, you're happy, you're contented, all is well. And he's saying you're not well at all. In fact, he said here, in Revelation, in those verses that I quoted there just briefly about being lukewarm. Those who I dearly and tenderly love, Jesus said, and I'm reading from the Amplified, I tell them their faults. 
and I convict and convince and reprove and chasten them. I discipline and instruct them. So be enthusiastic and be in earnest and burning with zeal. Change your mind and your attitude and your approach. Now, he was saying that to people who he designated as being lukewarm. None of us here, no one listening today, I'm sure, is lukewarm. However, there's a warning to us that in this day and age, lukewarmness in the Pentecostal realm, in the spiritual realm, would be rampant. And it is. We're gone well and truly off the boil. No doubt about that as far as the spiritual realm is concerned. We're no longer on fire as we should be, exactly as the Bible prophesied and said it would be, exactly the warnings and exhortations that Jesus, Jesus gave us. The love of many will wax cold. Be warned, he's saying, don't let this happen. Repent and change your ways. Learn uh, to, to understand and appreciate what you're supposed to be doing now. Let's go to First uh, Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6 and uh, verse 11. Chapter 6 and verse 11. It says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Well, it doesn't really matter what it's referring to because flee anything that would interfere with your walk in the Lord. Flee anything that makes you a bit more uh, inclined to be lukewarm. Flee any situations, circumstances, decisions, people, choices you make and so on. Whatever it is that might interfere with your walk in the Lord, the Bible says to flee that, not just sort of casually turn away. The Bible's very concerned about us neglecting or being casual or careless about so great salvation. And it is a great salvation. It transfers us from darkness into light. It transfers us into death into life. It transfers us into unrighteousness, into the glory of the Lord. We were sinners, and you, you, you know what the penalty of that was about. Uh, resurrection to damnation, ruination, all of those things. That's, that's where we were, even if you went to church, even if you're a little goody-goody Methodist, for example, like my wife. Made no difference. That's not the way it works. We've got to be obedient to the Word of God, and we've got to stay obedient to the Word of God. We've got to stay on fire. And so... The Bible says, well, well, get away from anything. Don't allow yourself to be caught out with any situation. Flee these things, O man or woman of God, and follow. The word follow there means eagerly and earnestly pursue, not a casual half-baked approach. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, and all of the things the Bible speaks about. Put off a lot of stuff and put on the stuff from the Lord. Clothe yourself with the things that God wants us to be dressed up in, to present ourselves to him, to each other, to the world uh, as our testimony and example. In verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Don't poke at it with a stick. Fight the good fight of faith. Get in there, boots and all, as it were. Put on the full armour of the Lord. Stir up ourselves in the things of God and lay hold, grab hold of. It says in the Song of Solomon, I have found whom I love and I would not let him go. We have found our Saviour. We've found our Lord and Master. We've found our husband man. We've found the one who is going to be with us for all eternity. And uh, we're going to lay hold of that. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. We've made our stand. When you came to the Lord, whether it was last week or whether it was uh, 40 years ago or 50 years ago, whatever the case may be, it makes no difference 
we can't sort of chalk up brownie points. We're supposed to be understanding today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. It's the day that we're supposed to be making sure that we appreciate what we received. If we received it 50 years ago, well, hallelujah. We should have had 50 good years in the Lord. Oh, there'll be trials and tribulations, of course. The Bible says in Jeremiah, they've got good plans for you. <laughs> well, the plans are for eternal plans that whatever we might go through, the overriding plan is that Jesus Christ is coming back. We're going to rise to meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with him. Comfort yourself with these words, the Bible says. Uh, in the meantime, I don't know what tomorrow will bring for you or to, for, for me. Uh, and maybe you've got some things on your plate already. You're not really all that wrapped about. Well, hallelujah. We can still approach the throne of grace. We can still find help in time of need. But overriding all of that is that one day this earthly tabernacle of ours will disappear and whatever we had going with it or in it or because of it will also disappear. I was preaching in San Pedro. I wasn't actually in San Pedro, but I was preaching via Zoom in San Pedro during the week. And I talked about the Feast of Tabernacles. We've done that before here, the Feast of Tabernacles. We are living, in a sense, the Feast of Tabernacles right now because we have these tabernacles of ours, these bodies of ours, these booths of ours that the Israelite people had to do once a year. Well, we know that we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. And one day, this vile body of ours, this body of humiliation will pass away it'll disappear when you rise to meet the lord in the air you won't be taking your ingrown toenail with you or your wonky left knee or other problems that you may have you won't be taking any problems with you none at all and you won't be taking any concerns any anxiety any stress whatsoever brand new body brand new concept altogether hallelujah so the bible's saying as well fight for it then do whatever's necessary to hang on to it. Discipline yourself. Discipline others if they have to, if they get interfering with what you're doing. Make a stand for the things of God. Hold fast. He repeats it again at the end of verse 19. Lay hold on eternal life. All the great things the Lord has in store for us. In uh, 1 Peter, let me read in from the Amplified. The end and culmination of all things has now come near. Keep sound-minded and self-restrained and watchful and alert, particularly unto prayer. In Hebrews 3, another translation, for if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, when we first began, we will also share in all that belongs to Christ. Well, Christ is all in all. Christ owns everything. It's all Christ. And we share in all of that. We'll inherit all things. So if you think you're missing out now, wait a little longer. Fight the good fight and you'll get it all at the end. Everything. Hard to believe perhaps. Hard for us to grab hold of sometimes when you're dealing with the mundane things of life and kids and husbands and wives and schools and cars and things that break down and things that don't work and so on. All sorts of things. Pressures of life generally. And now we've got coronavirus and we're going to stay home and we don't know whether we can get out or not. And some people are getting out and they're opening up some places. In Athens, Georgia now, they're back to full-scale meetings as of today. Well, it'll be tomorrow over there for them, Sunday. Oh, well, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. We may never get back to full meetings. The Lord may return in August or July even 
and uh, we don't worry about them anymore. As we said, we won't be zooming, we'll be zooming up. So we don't have to worry about any of those things. We just got to make sure that we keep our focus and our sights and our hopes and our aspirations and our applications and our approach to the things of God. To that end, that when Jesus Christ returns, we're going to rocket up to meet the Lord in the air and embrace all of those wonderful things the Lord has in store for us, things that really we can't fully comprehend, things that we don't fully understand, of course, how it's all going to unfold. But we do know it's going to be glorious. Why would the Lord have gone through this incredibly detailed, amazing, long plan to get to something which is a bit puny? We won't be disappointed. There's no way known. And I tell you what, there will be some disappointed people, though, if in the other ending. That's tragic. That's sad. There'll be, I've said this before, I'll stick by it, there'll be far more spirit-filled people on the wrong ending than the good ending. Because over the years, millions of people have got spirit-filled and millions of people have fallen away. It's going to be very sad and tragic. You'd even think maybe even more sad and tragic for those who actually lived it for a while and experienced it and tasted and saw how good it was and yet somehow or other forsook the things of God and loved this present world more than the things of God. How stark a reality would that be? Well, it won't affect any of us. We're not going to do that. We're going to make sure that we're there on that day, aren't we? And so, by the way, this is only really the end of this chapter. We know how this chapter is going to end. It's going to end tragically for some, for millions, for billions. And it's going to end well for us who persist and persevere and endure to the end. But that's not really the end, is it? That's just the end of this chapter. There's another chapter to come. There are new ages to come. This is only the beginning. When we rise to meet the Lord in the air, oh, it's the end of all of that. It's the beginning of all of this. The new realm. It's just the start for us. Just as when we started, when we were born again and continued on to this particular ending, we now start again with a transfigured body, a glorified body, an accelerated into the atmosphere body, whatever the Lord's got in mind, now spiritual realm, and we go for that for all eternity. Uh, it says in Revelation 2, at another translation, it speaks of an unending glorious future, an unending glorious future. Now, I've said this before, but in, but in the book of Revelation, I won't get to turn to it, but the, in, the, in the King James Version, or this particular version or whatever, it says that the last verse, uh, well, the second last verse of the whole of the Bible says this, he that testifies these things says, surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So that's the conclusion of it all. This end, the end of this particular phase, you could say. Uh, uh, Jesus Christ coming and then the, the new era being ushered in. And it goes on the, the last verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I often say, and I've heard other people say it, of course, God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. We have got God's riches at Christ's expense today, but we've got it for all eternity if we hang on to today if we appreciate today as the day of salvation. Now, my King James Version, or maybe it's the Oxford Wide Margin Version, puts at the bottom, uh, the very bottom of the page, the end. 
And I put a great cross through that. I put a great cross through that. I'll show you afterwards. And I wrote, no, with an exclamation mark. This is just the beginning. Oh, we know what our end will be at the end of this life, of this particular part of God's plan. But as far as the rest is concerned, that's eternal. That never ends. That's everlasting life, everlasting glory, everlasting presence. I don't understand it, but I'm looking forward to it. And when you get there and it all unfolds and suddenly the spiritual realm in its fullness opens up to us, then we'll all understand. And we'll say, it was worth the fight. All the people said. 